Hi, I'm Tracy Borman. I'm an author, Tudor historian and broadcaster. And I'm very lucky because uh, I work for Historic Royal Palaces, which means that my office is Henry VIII's Palace, Hampton Court. We're back for more of my interview with Dr. Tracy Borman. I'm sure we all love watching Tracy's television specials. One of my favorite moments was on the fall of Anne Boleyn, where Tracy gets to see and actually hold Queen Elizabeth's ring that features, we think, an image of Anne Boleyn. Of course, I had to ask her about that. And that's where we start part two. I need to ask about the ring, the checkers ring, which I just love. And I will tell you in 2017, uh, there was an exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery, The Real Tutors. And Mm. I planned a trip around that exhibition and then went (laughs) to my family and said, hey, you want to come with me? Because I'm going to see that ring because it's just... And just to be in the same room with it was just unbelievable. So can you tell me, because I know you got to hold it, which I just can't imagine. So tell me, (laughs) tell us all about that ring. Oh, that I can honestly say, and I'm lucky to have had many amazing moments in my career as a historian. I think that is the, the, the most amazing, the most um, incredible privilege. So I was filming my um, series on the fall of Anne Boleyn. And I'm really pleased because the way that the production company chose to end that series was on a positive because people mm-hmm. tell Anne Boleyn's story as, as this great tragedy. But, you know, it, Anne's legacy was Elizabeth. Um, and, right. and so, you know, she didn't die in vain in a way. Um, and so we told that legacy through this ring, um, which was a, a exquisite locket ring um as um i'm sure uh, those listening will know um that uh, showed portraits of elizabeth and almost certainly i think anne uh, that there is some debate is it really anne i think it is um and it's one of elizabeth's most precious possessions she kept this ring with her until the day she died well i went to checkers which is the the british prime minister's country residence it's it's quite a story as to how it's ended up there i'm sure um and and it's one of a collection of weird and wonderful treasures at checkers that the prime minister brings out to show his honored guests um and so the curator brought it out and i just thought that i was going to be seeing it behind glass um or perhaps he would hold it but the first thing he did was uh to say do you want to hold it and i was like oh my goodness <laughs> you know i nearly fainted um and i can't describe how delicate how exquisitely crafted this ring is um if i say that it was in the palm of my hand and i couldn't even feel it was there that's how it's as light as a feather so it's fashioned from mother of pearl. Um, there's some jewels in there as well, some rubies. Um, uh, and, uh, and it's just the most exquisite, uh, thing. You, the detail is extraordinary. Whoever, you know, was the craftsman behind it was obviously a, a person of some genius. Um, and just holding it, I, you know, I kind of, I, I was completely choked. I, I just couldn't believe it. This is Elizabeth's ring. Um, we tend to see it open to show those portraits, but when it's closed, there's the E on it. Um, and so, and you just see the detail and to hold it 
uh, I was holding a piece of history and, and I've always been so fascinated in what Elizabeth really felt about her mother, Anne Boleyn. And I think she felt a great deal more than she is often given credit for. Here's a woman who apparently hardly mentioned Anne. She just identifies with her father. Let's not forget, Elizabeth is a clever player. You know, Of course, she identifies with her father, not her scandalous mother. But I think her feelings for Anne Boleyn went, ran really deep and you see them all in this exquisite ring. It's an, a moment I will never, ever forget. Well, thank you. And it just sounds like just an amazing moment. And I think the fact that she treasured that ring so much, mm. to me, is evidence that it is Anne, because I just can't imagine. I mean, some people say it's a young picture of herself, but I just... Yes. No, I, I, I think don't see that. Right. I'm with you. On, and there's even a theory it's Jane Seymour. I mean, why would anybody oh. give Elizabeth a, a ring with a portrait of Jane Seymour? And that doesn't add up. Possibly Catherine Parr, you can see a bit more. Elizabeth was was very fond of her. But but looking at the, the style of headdress, mm-hmm. uh, the facial features, it screams Anne to me. Um, and yes. it just matches up. This is somebody who knew how to get in Elizabeth's good books uh, if it was a gift or perhaps Elizabeth commissioned it herself. Either way, I think it shows just what she thought of her mother. Well, and there are some other very gentle um, ways that she has uh, images of the falcon and some of their, mm-hmm. their beautiful linen pieces at the Victorian Albert museum that you can just keep moving yourself around but when the light hits it just right you can see that falcon so clearly yes can't you i know absolutely this isn't it's not just the locket ring it's the falcons it's um Mm -hmm. the fact elizabeth caused a diplomatic incident when uh she heard that uh, a publication had been uh brought out in france which um kind of called her mother the the great whore Mm -hmm. and and she was furious with the king of france she went into battle on behalf of her mother she surrounds herself with berlin relatives as as queen so there's so much evidence for how Elizabeth uh, thought about Anne. It's not just this ring, although the ring is my favorite. Right. And it is, it's just one of those things that when you think about her wearing it and having it with her, oh. that is just holding her. And I do, I think she's holding her mother so close. Yes. And, and yeah. take, you know, maybe that's a little moment where when a thousand eyes see all I do, okay, yes. but I have this locket ring I can close and this yes. is for me. And absolutely. It's very private. It's very mm-hmm. personal. And talking of wearing it, now Elizabeth was very, very proud of her long, slender fingers. And that ring brought home to me just how slender. Now, if I tell you, I couldn't even get it on my little finger. I couldn't get it on any of my fingers. <laughs> it just wouldn't go. It was. It's tiny. She must have had the most delicate fingers and no wonder she was proud of them. Oh, wow. That okay, that's really something. Yes, you're yeah. right. Because I've just always thought about how tiny the front was, but the whole thing is that tiny, yeah, isn't it's, it? Honestly, tempted as I was to really have a proper go at putting it on. I did <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, but I just thought, okay, I'm not gonna force it, but I can see, you know, it would uh, it doesn't even go on my little finger. And and I don't think my hands are particularly big. No. Uh, so, yeah, it, wow. it was extraordinary. Oh, that's wonderful. And and just a little exquisite. Such a wonderful thought of, of her and her mother, which I think is definitely. So, um, all right. This is this has all been wonderful. So I want to ask you another question about Elizabeth and then a little bit about 
your books and some mm. of your new things. So before we get to that, just let me finally ask, what do you think makes Elizabeth um, the greatest, not that they're competing with each other, but sort of the greatest <laughs> or the pinnacle of the Tudor monarchy, or this is just like the shining moment, the, you know, brief and shiny yeah. moment of the monarchy yeah. and the dynasty. I absolutely. Well, we've talked about stability and I think that was her major contribution, but I think how she achieved that really. Elizabeth is a pragmatist and her predecessors just aren't. I think she's closer in personality to her grandfather, the first Tudor, Henry VII, than to any of the others. So Henry VIII, of course, he's not at all Mm -hmm. pragmatic. He just you know, it follows one principle to the next and he follows it to the extreme and he's fickle and, you know, all the rest of it indulged. Um, her brother Edward um, is a, a Protestant extremist. I think he would have taken the Reformation to a whole other level and probably caused, you know, a, a revolution uh, mm-hmm. and, and actually rebellion as well, um, wide-scale rebellion if he'd lived longer, just as Mary did. You know, she was, again very, very passionate about her faith. She she could not see how divisive her actions were being. She was actually alienating Catholics as well as Protestants from the extremity of her actions. And yet, Elizabeth is so different. She mm-hmm. is a pragmatist. She although she didn't actually say this, um, I think it was Francis Bacon, it encapsulates her worldview, which is, I do not wish to make windows into men's souls. It's kind of believe as you will, you know, outwardly conform, but she reaches this kind of compromise of a religious settlement. And and that pragmatism goes to the heart of so much of Elizabeth's reign, her policies, her her views. Um, And and I love that about her. Pragmatism isn't the most sexy quality, uh, but it damn well makes you a successful monarch. And I do, I, that's great. And throughout her reign and in many ways throughout her life, this is what I have to do right now. And I am going to respond to these accusations. I am going to keep my head above water just throughout mm. her life. She is a survivor oh. and very pragmatic about it. Doesn't fall apart. Doesn't get emotional. Mm, just keep exactly. moving forward. Yeah. Just keep moving forward. And the lady she learned that from, I think, more than any other, is my favorite of the six wives, Anne of Cleves. I love Anne of Cleves. She oh, was yeah. a pragmatist. She's learned from the example of her predecessors, gives Henry an annulment pretty easily, yes. inherits five palaces, 20,000 yes. pounds a year, you know, lives a very nice life. Um, and I think Elizabeth watches and learns from Anne of Cleves. Well, that's a great example because I would say most of us might agree that Anne of Cleves was happier after her marriage ended. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And on her own in charge of her life. And that is a great example to Elizabeth. And we know Elizabeth was very close to Anne as well. It's not just a kind of um, head in the clouds theory of mine, just because I love Anne of Cleves. You know, they they spent time together. And I think Elizabeth really respected um, Anne of Cleves and, and the way she behaved and she learned from it. Yes. Yes. And you're right that, that pragmatic approach um, to, okay, I thought this one thing was happening, but it turns out I'm not going to be able to stay the queen. So what can I do to protect myself? And Anne of Cleves, yes. boy, did she get that right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. I mean, to the extent that there was even rumors Henry was kind of falling in love with her, you know, wanted to marry her again, you know, because they got on so well. Right, Um, right. Good old Anne Cleves. I think she deserves her place in the spotlight a bit. (laughs) 
Right. And and it was not. I mean, she sort of treated, oh, that's the one that didn't work. Such a short yeah, marriage. Yeah, the ugly wife, which makes me furious, oh, I think. Right. No. <laughs> there's, there's not much to back that up. No, no. And he's, he's certainly one to blame someone else when, oh, yeah. <laughs> when oh, things yeah. don't go right for him. Absolutely. So that's great. And I also really appreciate um, connecting Elizabeth with Henry VII. Because yeah. he is also someone, and his mother Margaret Beaufort, who's one of my, just I'm a I'm just fascinated by her and how she used marriage, but she just kept putting herself in favor. If you look at the Wars of the Roses, yes. she's in favor all the time. I know, I know. What a woman! What a remarkable woman! Yes. Yes. Wily women, um, and I think, yeah, yeah um, I think you always have to look back further with Elizabeth. People sort of obsess about, you know, how much she learned from Henry VIII and mm -hmm. Boleyn, mm -hmm. but we need to go back a generation or two as well. Yes, and uh, those examples, I think, were very important to her of, you know, this, again, Margaret was a woman who took control of her own life. Yes, she did it through marriage a different way, but she ended up where she wanted to be and yeah. was in a position of power sort of all the time at a time when that was really difficult for anyone and especially difficult yes. for a woman. There she was at court again. So I know. How did she do that? How did I she mean, do it? What a time to stay in favor or or at least to survive right. and thrive. Yes. Uh, no matter your your kind of point of view and which house you belong to. And uh right. yeah. She was she was a woman uh, to be respected and admired and and actually uh, to be imitated. I think yes. Um, and there was more than a bit of Margaret in Elizabeth. I think yes, I think so. I think so. I think she's great. Well, okay. So thank you for all these thoughts about Elizabeth. And now I would love to talk just a little bit mm. about your um, experiences with the fictional world. Yes. So you have these oh. wonderful, and, and you put, the, it's historic fiction, and they're in the court of James, which is just fascinating. But can you tell us just a little bit without giving anything away, although mm. I'm sure everyone's read the third book by now, but tell <laughs> us a little bit about the trilogy and what it was like to yeah. sort of discover the fictional world in a nonfictional world. Yeah, well, I, I'd like to just start by saying it was a total dream come true to write historical fiction because um, it, it's what I did for pleasure. You know, I, I, when I'm not researching, um, you know, and, and using all the nonfiction sources, I read novels. I read novels for fun, historical novels. Um, and so to actually get to write one was just so thrilling. Um, but what a different skill. I have to say, it's like show, not tell um, and all of that. Um, the reason why I chose um, the court of James the first, so Elizabeth's successor, rather than the Tudors, which is probably tantamount to treason, really, given I'm a Tudor. Um, is because um, I really got hooked on this period when I was writing my nonfiction history of the witch hunts, um, which mm -hmm. kind of swept across Europe and particularly intensified during the reign of James I, who was obsessed with witches. And he thought God had placed him on the earth to get rid of this evil in society. And I just thought, wow, this is such a dark and dangerous time to be alive if you're a woman in particular. Um, and I thought, how about I just 
you know, dramatize that because I really wanted to convey the horror and, and you know, the, the turbulence of this period, which is so often overlooked. The early Stuart period, it's, you know, you, you tend to skip straight from the Tudors to the Victorians and, you know, you miss out <laughs> so much great history in between. Um so that was really my premise. But I wanted to at least have a foot in, you know, Elizabeth's reign. So it starts with uh, the death of Elizabeth. And one of her favorite ladies in waiting, I've already mentioned, Helena Snackenborg. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually her daughter, Frances, who was a real woman. She really lived. She is my heroine throughout the trilogy. Okay. Um, and, the, and the beauty of Frances is we know virtually nothing about her. So I could weave this whole narrative around her uh, without fear of getting letters, you know, <laughs> saying that, that didn't really happen. Um, so what happens with Frances? I make her a healer. So a skilled herbalist. Now, that very much puts her in the frame as a suspected witch. Most most of those convicted of witchcraft are, have kind of this knowledge and skill in, in herbalism. And so this puts her in jeopardy. But that jeopardy is just increased because Francis falls in love with the wrong person at court. Uh, and that person happens to be one of the gunpowder plotters who are trying to murder the king and his entire government. And so uh, that's really the premise for the kind of opening novel. Um, and, and this sense of um, fear for Francis and danger for her as a suspected witch and as a a, a kind of secret Catholic and a supporter of the gunpowder plot, that stays. That's a kind of ongoing theme, but there are all sorts of other adventures that befall Francis in the next book, The Devil's Slave, and then in the final book of the trilogy, which introduces probably my favourite villain of the trilogy, which is the Duke of Buckingham. He was an absolute gift Mm -hmm. because I didn't have make much up at all he was that villainous um and it and it kind of goes all the way through uh to the end of james's reign and yeah i i miss francis because to me <laughs> she was a a living breathing person as i had written her um now as i say she she was a real woman but we don't really have much of the details of her life so but it felt like losing a friend when i finished that final novel so um yeah it's well, something yeah. That I, I really care deeply about. I'd love to write more more historical fiction. Well, and that's the, yes, that was part of my follow up. Was will there be more? Because I know a lot of us miss Francis, and just we can oh. reread, and that's lovely. But you know, we kind of wonder, hmm, what else might she be <laughs> able yes. to do? Yes, um, exactly, exactly. Uh, there is, I, I am hoping very much um, that that I will soon be able to announce something about that because I'm developing an idea with my publisher at the moment um and uh I definitely watch this space and you'll be one of the first oh, to know Carolyn, I promise oh great <laughs> okay this is this is great news for all of us so um watch this space yes that's yes. that's a great thought yes. well exactly. the other thing I thought of and and because and I don't know but because many of these really great fictional tellings of historic times end up being made into um, something either for the cinema or the television. Mm -hmm. And this just seems like the kind of thing that done well could be marvelous. I mean, there's so much. Oh God. That would be a dream come true. You know, if there are any film producers out there, (laughs) they just get in touch because I don't know what it takes, but you know, I think a lot of it is luck, isn't it? Just getting the right place at the right time. I, that would be 
that would be a moment for me if I saw one of my books on screen. And I, you know, I, as I write them, I kind of imagine who would play that character. <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> right? Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, let's let's see. But um, but for the time being, I've been kind of focusing back on the nonfiction, which, you know, is my first love. And, right. um, and I'm thrilled to say, so I, my next book is out in um, December in the States, um, oh, cool. which is uh, Crown and Scepter. So it's a history of the British monarchy. So a thousand years of history um, from William the Conqueror to Elizabeth II. And it's timed really as part of the celebrations uh, for marking Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee, which is next year. Uh, which right. what a moment, what a moment to think about the royals. Uh, 70 years on the throne. Nobody else has done that. Uh, right. So, yeah, I thought that was worth a book. <laughs> yes, that's marvelous. And I actually um, wonder if Queen Elizabeth II also has that, I am just going to stay alive yes. uh, feeling <laughs> yes. until we get all this settled and just look this way, I'm in charge yeah. here. Um, yes, I think I think there are parallels to be drawn mm-hmm. between the two Elizabeth. <laughs> right. And I, you know, when you talk about stability, she is, oh. you know, as you look at, and I just did a quick comparison one time um, with the number of presidents of the United States yeah. oh, that she's met or sort of gone yeah. through, you know. Um, I it, know, I know. As well yeah. as prime yeah, ministers. Absolutely. Yeah, as well as, but I think it's 14 at the moment, mm-hmm. but you know, she, yeah, the odds are she'll see a 15th as well, you know, so it's, it's quite an extraordinary achievement. And it is that stability. I think that's the main thing that unites the two Elizabeths, this, you know, during very turbulent times, lots of change in society. And yet, there they are. They are the continuity, the sort of, um, as, as um, somebody said of Elizabeth II, the, the golden thread that runs through generations. She's there uh, throughout, just as Elizabeth I was um, for, for many people in the Tudor period. And that's a lovely way to think of it, the golden thread, because yes, yeah. um, that stability and there's just something comforting about that somehow, yes. that there, there she so. is. Yeah. Okay. There she is. No matter what else happens around her, she's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Looking fabulous. So that, yeah. I, that you I know. know. I know. Yeah, yes. absolutely. How does yes. she do it? How does she do it? And there's a reason that this 70 year, I just think she is so strong, which people, I mean, she's mm. so small, you know, you don't think, but boy, yes. I think she embodies, though she be but little, she is fierce. Yes, um, from Shakespeare. <laughs> no, I've never made that connection, but that quote is perfect for Elizabeth II, isn't it? Yeah, I I think so. I think she's very fierce. So, well, <laughs> tell us now um, where we can find you, where we can find more about you, and um, share some of your social media. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Okay, so um, I have a website which is uh, tracyborman.co.uk, uh, um, and on Twitter I am at Tracy Borman. Uh, that is me, and Instagram um, is it Tracy Borman? I never know how to, but you know, it's just my name. Um, and so um, uh, there, you know, social media wise, it's mainly Twitter um, that I 
particularly love, but also I'm on Instagram as well. So, um, and I do, uh, try to, to kind of keep up to date with, you know, what I'm doing and put, and put it on there, but also, you know, if there are historical anniversaries or whatever might be coming up, you know, I, I try and, uh, put in my word, uh, for that as well. So, um, and I, you know, would just like to thank you in particular and everyone who's just been so lovely because Twitter is something that I was quite nervous about getting into because I thought, oh, God, I don't want to get trolled and have all these horrible comments, but it's actually a really supportive community. And you get, it's wonderful to get feedback immediately because writing can be quite a solitary profession and you're there researching and writing and not really knowing the impact of your work and and then to get that engagement from readers or people who've watched my stuff on telly um it means the world to me well we who are watching it is our pleasure <laughs> and it is <laughs> and and fortunately we can get some of the programs in the US um i know some things just came recently to the smithsonian channel and so we are able to see some things although not everything but um we are able to see some so Thank you again so much. And I will include in the show notes um, links to all these things. And um, the books, I mean, whenever I'm asked, what could I read to get started with the tutors? <laughs> I have to say, I love them all, but The Private Lives of the Tutors oh, yes. is just one of my favorites. I just oh, great. can lose myself <laughs> in it. So I love that. I can't wait for December to get my hands on the latest. And so thank you so much for being here with sharing your expertise and your time during a busy time. And we will keep an eye on all that's to come, both for Francis and the Tudors and historic <laughs> royal palaces as things open up and we are all able to get back to London for a visit. So thank Absolutely. you, Tracy. Oh, and thank you for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could talk to you all day. Thank you so very much to Dr. Tracy Borman for joining me to kick off season two in royal style. And what a royal, Queen Elizabeth I. I really appreciate everything Tracy shared about the great Tudor Queen and her life. And we're just getting started. Still coming this month, a discussion of the legacies of Elizabeth I and her cousin, Mary Queen of Scots. And then special guest Kate McCaffrey will share her research about Anne Boleyn's Book of Hours and connect a special volume to some courageous women and to Anne's daughter, Elizabeth. I hope you're enjoying the celebration of Queen Elizabeth. Please do take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating, if you will. And be sure to connect with me on social media. I'm at ShakeUp History on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can always reach me on my website, carolannloyd.com. I'm thrilled you're with me for season two as we track down more fascinating royals, rebels, and romantics. Let's keep shaking up history together. <music> <laughs>